Hi, thanks for tuning into the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. Each week, I do a deep dive into the strategies and mindset behind launching, scaling, and leading a high-impact nonprofit. I'm your host, Brooke Ritchie Babbage, and I'm so happy you're here. Before I get started this week, I want to let you all know that the enrollment for my Impact Accelerator is open in the month of May. The Accelerator is a six-month training and group coaching program that helps nonprofit leaders who are serious about growing their organization build the systems and strategies to do just that, with more clarity about what to actually focus on that will work, with more confidence about your strategies, and without the overwhelm of trying to go at it alone. Also, because I try to be super responsive to what I'm actually hearing from folks I work with, and one of the most common questions I get is about how to engage and activate your board. For folks who apply, are accepted, and enroll by the end of May, I'm also offering a bonus one-on-one training workshop for your board. You can learn more about all of this and apply for the accelerator at richiebabbage.com backslash nonprofit accelerator. So for this week's podcast, I'm doing something a little different. I'm calling it a strategy quick hit. It's basically a shorter episode where I offer just one quick piece of advice. I kind of see these quick hit episodes like this. I've learned so much through the hard knocks of decades of board service and leadership and social entrepreneurship. And if I can offer you a quick tip or a quick hit of advice based on where I messed up or what has worked for me to help you make your work stronger and more sustainable and to help you achieve your big impact, then I've done my work and I feel like I'm being helpful. So today, I'm going to talk about a really important topic, hiring to fuel growth. I talk in a lot of my trainings and in my accelerator program about the importance of thinking about and building capacity. By that, I mean having the right people in the right roles in your organization's ecosystem, your your team, your board, and what I call leverage networks, which are the people who are not on your staff or on your board, but who are in your network, finding structured ways to leverage them as capacity. And building this capacity, being really intentional about it, is absolutely critical if you wanna grow your organization in a way that's sustainable. So today I'm talking about hiring to fuel growth and what it actually looks like in practice. So I'm going to start off actually with what not having the right people in the right roles looks like. That is not having the capacity you need. So I hear this all the time, moving from meeting to meeting without time to actually execute on what comes out of those meetings or do any kind of sense-making or thinking about what you're taking in and what you're supposed to do not being able to follow up on emails with board members, with potential partners, from key donors, really not being able to invest in that relationship building, and not building critical internal systems, SOPs or standard operating procedures, systems and processes that build culture among your team, not really being able to invest in those infrastructure elements, 
because doing so takes think and deep work time and you feel like you don't have either of those. The upshot is when you don't have enough capacity or the right capacity, you don't have time. And when you don't have time, you cannot grow. You have to get the right people on your team in the right roles in order to free up your time to do the things that will drive and sustain your growth and your impact. So let's talk about what that looks like when you do have the capacity that you need to grow. Here are two ways that I recommend thinking about hiring as you grow. So I've been talking broadly about capacity, but I'm going to drill in on just your staff in this quick hit episode. So the first thing to think about when you are particularly early in your hiring, but really at any point, is to see hiring as an investment in your own high leverage activities. So you're hiring people on your team for roles, but see all of the people that you hire as investments in your own ability to engage in high leverage activities. So what do I mean by this? High leverage activities are those that drive revenue and impact. And you want more of these on your calendar. I always like to talk about um, this idea of being on a path, right? Let's say you're on a path out in a forest and just you know stewarding your organization, your team, your people through this forest down this path. And your role increasingly as the organization grows is to be above the trees, looking way down the path to the edges of the forest and strategizing about how to get down that path efficiently, quickly, and in the best way. High leverage activities are the things that are like a jet boost for you down the path, right? They are not you being in the weeds, you doing all of the things, you sort of walking along the path step by step. They are you being able to see really, really far down the path and jet boosting you down that path so that you can take your team with you. You can move more quickly and more efficiently and in a more strategic way. So what are the kinds of high leverage activities that you should be trying to maximize in your calendar? What should you actually be doing with your time? And I think this is really important to sort of think about how it plays itself out in your life because one of the things that a lot of the leaders that I struggle, that I talk to struggle with is, okay, so I've hired this amazing, you know, I have this amazing leadership team or I have this amazing group of people on my team, but what should I be doing with my time? Um, things like sending emails and um, drafting LOIs for funders, those feel tactical, right? Those feel like you are doing things, you're moving the ball down the field, so to speak. But the reality is that those are not actually high leverage activities in most cases. And that higher leverage activities are usually things that don't necessarily translate on any given day into something you can check a box for. So it can be scary and a little difficult to begin to shift our work and our attention and our time to high leverage activities that you really should be maximizing. So I thought that I would highlight just a few of what those are. 
the sort of core categories of high leverage activities. So the first, donor and funder relationships, starting new ones, cultivating, stewarding. All of your fundraising, as your budget gets bigger and your impact increases, will be about relationships. You're going to move away from more transactional fundraising, which is really just focused on events, tickets, campaigns, to relational fundraising, which is rooted in relationships with donors and program officers. High leverage time is spent initiating and building and strengthening these relationships. Sometimes that will mean sending emails. Sometimes that will mean a breakfast or a lunch date. Sometimes that will mean thinking about who you should be reaching out to and doing a little bit of research about the kinds of things that will allow you to highlight points of alignment with that person or with that program officer. So the first high leverage sort of box of high leverage activities, donor and funder relationships. Second, network expansion and strategic partnerships. Formalizing and strengthening the types of connections to other organizations, to advisors, to mentors, et cetera, that broaden your strategic footprint, the reach that you have with your organization is a really important part of growing your impact in a sustainable way. This is how you get invited to the right conferences, to speak on stages, to expand your programs into new parts of your city or your state or the country, if that's your goal. This is how you get on the radar of those funders that say no unsolicited proposals so that you can submit LOIs to these funders. This is how you get on the radar of potential new donors. This is how you get in front of and attract supporters, ambassadors, people who are really excited about your mission without you having to do all of the work to go out and find them. This is gathering rather than hunting, um, which is a metaphor I really, really like for sort of the shift that takes place in fundraising as your budget grows. So this idea of actually investing in activities that expand your network, that build new strategic relationships, meeting new people, and identifying how to structure your relationship with those new people in ways that expand and leverage your capacity is really important as a high leverage activity. Third, strategic visioning and thinking and planning. And this is one everybody wishes they had more time for. This is really just hours in your day to think about the big picture of your organization, to do deep thinking about the direction that you wanna take your team, your board, your own leadership, your programs, your partnerships. This is not the tactical sending the email, writing the newsletter, drafting the op-ed. This is letting your brain go fuzzy. I don't know if, if um, how many of you might remember in the 80s, those pictures that were really popular that didn't really look like anything, sort of just a hodgepodge of colors and things. But when you let your eyes sort of go fuzzy, the image would emerge. So I talk about this idea of letting your brain go fuzzy, right? Not focusing so much on doing things and just letting your brain go fuzzy so that ideas about the right direction for your organization have a chance to emerge. 
that is a high leverage activity. And it can be the hardest for folks to make time for because you don't necessarily cross anything off your list at the end of a day where you've spent a significant portion of that day in deep thought, in generative thought, or in strategic thought. But it is super, super important because it gives rise to everything else. And finally, thought leadership. So as you grow, making time to do work that establishes your organization's unique point of view in the space that you inhabit is really important. This is related in part to the network expansion and strategic relationship building, because it is another way in which you become a gatherer and not a hunter, in which you attract donors and supporters and avid fans, rather than having to do all of the outreach. This is about being on stages where people see you, being in pages and publications where people can learn about your unique point of view, and really becoming a sort of go-to expert, either you, someone on your team, or your organization more broadly around the issues that you work on. So each of these types of activities, when done correctly, has a high return on your investment of time. For every hour that you spend, roughly, the effect on your revenue and your impact is really significant. So in contrast, what are some examples of lower leverage activities? And I do not mean that these are not important. These must happen in your organization. I mean that as you hire, think about hiring so that these activities that I'm about to mention come off of your plate and are shifted to someone else's plate. Writing newsletters, doing social media, certain types of program execution, especially as your organization grows. And this can be a really tough one, particularly for founders to move away from or give up. Dat any kind of database entry. This includes financial database entry, evaluation database entry. If you are opening up a database as the executive director of a growing organization, you need to hire somebody to do that. <laughs> that is not a high leverage activity. Uh, training volunteers, onboarding staff that's not part of your leadership team. These are very, very, very important activities for your organization. Newsletters, um, strategic communication, social media, program execution, maintaining your databases and your operations, training and onboarding your team, super important. But they aren't like jet fuel. They aren't the high leverage, high return on your investment activities that you should be as the leader spending more and more of your time on. The reality is that the more time you spend on lower leverage activities, the more time you personally spend, the slower and more painful your process of growth is going to be. So what you wanna do is begin to hand over those low leverage activities as early as possible so that you are spending more and more of your time propelling your organization down that path. Now, the second key shift in hiring and this is another thing that should happen way earlier than it often does for organizations that are growing, is to shift from hiring purely for execution to hiring for ownership. Now, when we're just starting or when we're early in our hiring 
And also as we grow and our need for staff outstrips our funding for staff, right? There's a sort of um, the calibration between our resources and our capacity needs is off. <laughs> this can also happen then. What we want to do is hire for execution. We wanna hire people to get things done. But as you grow, part of the problem with doing that is that you have too few people owning all of the workflows. And when you hire for execution, you or whoever is sort of at the top of a workflow is still ultimately accountable for the final outcomes. And because on small teams, that will usually be the executive director that quickly translates into having way too many people to meet with and to manage. It also translates into bottlenecks for growth and getting things done. Hiring for ownership means looking at entire workflows, and you can map these, map out your workflow, and hire as high up in your workflow as possible. Some of the ways that you can operationalize this. So I talked about mapping your process. This is literally, some people are visual thinkers, I have always been a bullet point person, but just create a, an entire flow of whatever the process is, the first thing you do, the second thing you do, the third thing you do, down to the last thing that concludes that workflow. Map that out. Create clear standard operating procedures for the workflows that somebody needs to own. And then once you have that map and those standard operating procedures, which essentially take the map or the process that you've mapped and standardize it, so that anybody can do it, you hand those SOPs over, those standard operating procedures over. And then you have to trust the process. You'll tweak the standard operating procedures as you go. People have to be onboarded onto them. They may adjust and shift as the organization grows. But this process of mapping processes, creating SOPs and handing them to specific people so that that person, those people own the entire workflow, are responsible for and accountable for the outcomes across an entire workflow is absolutely critical. So these are two shifts for you to think about as you hire for growth, hire in ways that will fuel your growth by building the kind of capacity that actually allows you to be sustainable. I hope this relatively quick hit was helpful, and I'll see you next week for more Mastermind. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you think what we talk about here, the trainings and the guests and the conversations could benefit another leader in your life, I'd love if you would leave a review and share with your friends. If you want to take the next step and begin to put into practice what we talk about on this podcast, I've created a toolkit where I collect and share downloads from many of our conversations. It's got templates, worksheets, and references to help you execute on what we talk about here on The Mastermind. There's lots of great stuff, and I add to it almost every week. You can download it at richiebabbage.com backslash architecture of impact toolkit. I also want to share another free resource for leaders of growing nonprofits. It's a free training. It's called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. The four questions you need to ask to know if your nonprofit is really ready to scale. 
Growing an organization doesn't happen by accident, as we all know. You have to take the right strategic steps at the right time to avoid overwhelm and burnout and that horrible feeling that so many of us have had as you watch the work of your organization outstrip capacity and sometimes even funding. It's almost impossible to reverse engineer good growth. And by that, I mean growth that can be sustained over time just by looking at what you think you see in other organizations. So in this free training, I help cut through all the noise and I identify the four simple questions that if you really engage with them and think about them, will tell you when you're ready to grow without frenzy, without overwhelm, and with the confidence that you're making the right moves for your organization. You can access the training at richiebabbage.com backslash ready to scale. Finally, if you'd like more leadership resources and strategies in your life, sign up for my weekly newsletter, Leadership Forward 321. Each week, I curate and share three articles, two resources, and a quote on a theme. You can get that at richiebabbage.com backslash Leadership Forward 321. That's all for now. Have a great week, and I'll see you back here next week for more Mastermind.